0: what if you held the cure for someone battling cancer black blood Heals is the podcast that shares the moving stories of lives saved through blood stem cell transplant hear from patients donors and doctors about why black and african-american genetics are so unique and why it's so hard for black patients to find a perfect match get ready here's your host kendra g Welcome back to Black Blood Heals. I'm your host, Kendra G. In this episode, we're going to look at how cord blood from a newborn baby's umbilical cord can be used to cure blood cancers like leukemia or blood diseases like sickle cell. We will learn how umbilical cord, which is often discarded as medical waste, is full of blood-forming stem cells that can help save a life. We'll hear from a young woman cured of sickle cell disease Following a cord blood transplant, a Biza match representative will tell us why cord blood is so important for patients of color who don't have a perfectly matched donor. Finally, we'll hear from a labor and delivery nurse who can help expecting parents decide if donating cord blood is an option that they should explore. Let's get started. It's my pleasure to welcome Sosa E. Bowen, 20-year-old college student attending the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. She was cured of sickle cell disease after receiving a cured blood transplant at the age of 12. Hi, Sosa. Hey, what's up? I'm doing good. Now, listen, Sosa, you were born with sickle cell disease. Can you tell us about your childhood and what kind of experiences you had? Yeah, of course. So
1: um, early on, I realized that there were there was not a lot of knowledge surrounding sickle cell disease in the community. And so I automatically knew that it was going to be something that I had to limit on who knew about my condition. Um, so in a way, it was a little isolating because I took upon the approach of separating my medical life and my school life. So when I go and step into my medical life, I'm in the hospital dealing with pain crises. Um, at one point, I was dealing with multiple mini strokes. I dealt with um, iron overload where I was taking a lot of medications, um, and I was doing monthly blood transfusions. And then I would literally go from my medical life straight back into my school life. However, I would usually be covered in these huge bandages that I then had to explain to my friends who knew not a lot about what I was going through. So I would buy my making up excuses such as like, oh, I had just gotten a lot of shots. Um, You know, maybe I just wasn't feeling well. It was kind of a support thing. So um, I found myself doing this definitely when I was even in elementary school. Um, So around the ages of, I want to say, like six to the age of 12, when I started my transplant journey, I was making up excuses and keeping those worlds as separate as possible and um, only limiting it to uh, maybe one or two friends, more of a need-to-know basis because in case there was any emergency i would have that contact
0: yeah so you know being so young can you explain did you have an awareness of your disease like did you know your limitations
1: Yeah, so my parents, especially my mom, made it really aware that there was something different about me so that in the case of an emergency, I knew how to navigate, who to contact, and what to do. Um, I made sure that I had at least one friend who knew about my condition and knew, like, had my mother's cell phone immediately so that she could go and handle the situation properly. And also, I just was generally more curious about science and medicine as I was growing up with sickle cell disease because it was around me all of the time. So I was always the type of patient like asking questions because eventually it would grow into my desire to pursue medicine, which is where I'm at now.
0: Wow. So how has your life changed since getting your transplant? So my life has definitely changed dramatically.
1: Um, I finished and went back to um, high school. So I started in the ninth grade and went all the way through college. Well, I'm in my last year of college right now. But since then, I've been able to take up sports, which is something that I really wanted to do whenever I was younger, but couldn't do because of the um, physical strain and also because of the higher possibility of having a pain crisis. So I was able to do swimming and a little bit of cross country when I was in high school. Since then, I have stopped doing sports in college. I did pick up um, working out more, so I've been able to incorporate working out more with like weights and doing a lot more cardio without having to worry about my breathing, and then without having to worry about my joints kind of locking up or becoming too tight and being um, putting myself into a pain crisis. So, been able to increase my physical activity, and then I've just also went through just having that feel of my own sense of normalcy where I don't have to worry about. If anything's wrong with me anymore, like growing up with sickle cell, like it's always at the back of your mind in everything that you do. And for me, I don't have that worry anymore. I kind of just go and just live the new life I've been given. And I'm just, you know, trying to make the best out of it.
0: I love it. Now, have there been any side effects from the transplant?
1: So side effects from the transplant, they kind of happened more immediately back in 2012. So there was a lot of physical changes that actually happened with me. What some people don't know is um, in order to prep for my transplant, I had to go through chemotherapy. With chemotherapy, you gain weight, sometimes your your skin gets darker, your nails actually like grow out and like fall off, including your toenails. It's actually like a really like gruesome process. Um, so when I was going through transplant and immediately afterwards, um, I did have some like chills. I had a fever. I even contracted an infection, an infection that almost took my life. Um, but also like physically, I, um, my skin started kind of peeling whenever I was in the shower and I would like wash my face with a washcloth. Like you could see the like skin kind of start to peel, which was an interesting process to go to when you're like 13 years old. Um, oh, and then of course, like my um, hair did fall out. So I remember specifically thinking I'm a 13-year-old girl and I'm bald, which uh-huh. was a very, like, real like reality check moment for me. But since then, like, my skin kind of um, has now, like, evened out all of, like, all of the skin all over my body, like, kind of and it came back a little bit lighter than it was before transplant. Um, My nails grew back in, and they actually grew back in healthier than the previous nails that I had before. And then my hair has grown really long ever since transplant. In fact, um, my hair texture, because of transplant and the type that I had and the mixture of cells, my hair texture is a little bit softer than it was before transplant as well. So a lot of, like, really interesting physical changes that my physical and my brother and my mom we all kind of talk about from time to time
0: got you now how do you think your experience going from battling sickle cell to being cured of it has it shaped your view of the medical community I think it just
1: shows how innovative science can be um, growing up, you know, the narrative was that there was no cure for sickle cell, even you shouldn't expect a long life for people who do have sickle cell. So now when I'm in some of my classes, um, you know, they do mention now that there is a treatment for sickle cell. That, that's a pr- um, procedure that people have been doing. So it's really, like, shown the progression of science for me because I went from a point of no hope to, like, I'm very much cured of this once incurable disease.
0: Wow. Sosa, with core blood donation, you will never know who your donor is that cured you of sickle cell. Imagine that person is listening to this podcast. What would you tell them about what their donation means to you?
1: I would say that your donation meant that a 12-year-old girl got to reimagine her life. And that your donation was literally a rebirth, not just for your child, but also for somebody else as well. And I can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. You've added years to my life, literally. And that's something I could never repay. And all I can say is that I'm just so completely grateful.
0: Aw, that is so sweet. So your mom played an important role in helping you be an advocate for your treatment. What's your advice to sickle cell warriors who may not be aware that the transplant is an option for them? I would say that it's definitely a scary task. I
1: found myself on the path of a double 9-cord cord blood transplant after having my first transplant fail, and it was scary to have to ponder on if I should go through it again. Um, but also, at the same time, I just thought about the possibility of being where I am today, which I couldn't have imagined that if you would have told me that I would be where I'm at if I were when I was eight years old. Um, This is a life that there were times that I really didn't think I would see the age of 18. There were times I really couldn't imagine myself seeing the age of 21. But here I am. I'm about to turn 21 in two months, and I still can't believe it sometimes. So just as much like it's an option that is definitely there to provide hope. It is something like through faith. It is something I I firmly believe, like, without a support system, without a team, like, it's going to be hard. But I truly believe that if you are suffering from it and you are presented this option, to just try it. Definitely weigh your options. And if it seems like it's the best route to go, try it.
0: Well, I can't wait till you turn 30 years old. (laughs) So, listen, before you go, finally, can you tell us what you think about when you hear the name of this podcast, Black Blood Heals? I think when I hear black
1: blood heal, I just kind of think about how, as a community, we do try to rally with each other. We do try to look out for each other. And this is just how another way that we're looking out for each other, just more on a cellular, molecular level. Once again, like... We are coming together, again, on a smaller scale and coming to heal each other. And so I think that it's just another way for us to be connected. And I think it's something that unites us all as a black community.
0: Well said. It was such a joy to talk to you, Sosa. Thank you so much. And you better invite me to that 30th birthday party. (laughs) You already know. (laughs) Next, we have Donna Reagan with Be The Match to explain more about why core blood transplants are so important to patients of color. Hi, Donna. Hi,
2: Kendra. How are you?
0: I am doing well. Can you explain what a core blood transplant
2: is? It all starts with the donation of cord blood from after the birth of a healthy newborn. So you can imagine the blood that nourished the baby during its growth. After the baby is born, that blood is still available, and it contains blood-forming cells that can be collected after the baby is born, and it doesn't harm the baby at all because the, the baby has been separated from the umbilical cord. So the blood is still available and would normally be discarded. So that blood can be collected. It could be sent to a laboratory for testing and storing. And then those units can be listed on the Be the Match registry to help a patient in need of a stem cell transplant who needs one. So there are a number of patients, thousands of patients a year, who are battling blood cancers or diseases like leukemia or sickle cell that can be cured if doctors can find a donor source of healthy blood forming stem cells to replace their unhealthy cells and it's it's a way to save a patient's life. Wow.
0: How common are cord blood transplants?
2: So cord blood transplants make up about 10% of the unrelated transplants that Be The Match helps to facilitate each year. Last year, there were 633 patients who received cord blood transplants. Um, this is not new. It's been around since 1987. And um, since that time, NMDP has facilitated over 13,000 cord blood transplants.
0: Mm. So why are cord blood transplants so important for African-American patients?
2: So African-American patients have a tougher time finding a match on the registry, whereas 70% of the time uh, most people can find one in their family or in the registry itself, for African Americans, that's only about 30%. With cord blood, the match doesn't have to be as exact and so therefore, African American patients can leverage the units that are in the registry to help them find the match to save their lives. And so this is really, as you can understand then, very helpful in particular with uh, communities of color that have more diverse tissue typing and naturally have a lower chance of finding a match on the registry. About 30% of cord blood transplants um, have been received by patients of color and African African African-Americans being the toughest ones to match, they're the ones who are leading this group that received cord blood. Got you.
0: So what are some of the other benefits of cord blood transplants?
2: There are so many, um, but they are readily available. So you don't have to find a donor and then make them travel to a collection site. Make sure that, first of all, that you can find them and that they're healthy and still willing to donate for a person they don't know or a person they're not related to. With cord blood, those products are in the freezer, and it's the, um, the magic of matching and then just saying, we want that one, and it's available and doesn't change its mind. It's in the freezer and ready to ship whenever the patient needs it. Got it. Okay. So,
0: how can people interested in donating their child's cord blood learn more?
2: Go to bethematch.org and search for cord blood. That's the easiest way to find if your hospital participates in the program.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Donna. Kendra, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Next, I'm pleased to welcome Patricia Bell, a registered nurse with labor and delivery at Tripler Army Medical Center in Hawaii. Miss Bell, tell us a little bit more about your position at Tripler Army Medical Center. I am a labor and delivery staff
3: nurse. I've been at Tripler now for about two and a half years. I've been an L&D nurse for about 17 years. I am also the head of their Perinatal Bereavement Coordinator Program.
0: Today we are talking about the ability for a baby's core blood to help save the life of a patient in need of a blood stem cell transplant you were recognized as one of the top nurses who helped encourage parents to donate their child's core blood. Why was this such an important goal for you? For
3: me, restorative care is one of the primary functions for a nurse, regardless of what area of nursing you're working in. And a large portion of that relies on education. So for Core blood banking, educating my parents was important because most of them had some knowledge of what it was but really didn't understand what its uses were or the collection process and it just took a lot of education on their part. And as an African-American woman, I also realized that for us, in order for us to find a match, there needs to be participation within our own community. So I really tried to encourage little couples to do so.
0: Is there high awareness among expected parents about the ability to donate core blood to help save a life? People don't know
3: the difference between the core blood registry and private banking. And that's a large portion of the education that we do. There are a lot of companies out there that offers private collection and people don't realize that they have the option to do it without payment.
0: Miss Bell, what would you tell parents who aren't sure if they want to donate their child's core blood?
3: For me, when I talk to a parent that's unsure about donating, um, it's a bit different than asking them or trying to convince them to do so. Most of the time, if they can tell you what they don't understand, you can explain to them the benefits and use it as a teaching opportunity. They have up until just prior to delivering the baby to make a real decision. Um, Because they do such a great job with stocking us with the paperwork that we need and the collection kits, we always have extras on file. So if a mom hasn't really made a decision throughout her course of prenatal care, and arrives and decides that it is something she would like to do, we can counsel her at that moment, give her the information that she needs, and and um, acquire her consent just prior to delivery. Unfortunately, there are some facilities where you cannot do it the same day. Arrangements must be made in advance, but... At Tripler, we are one of the facilities that you can actually decide the same day that you would like to donate because we typically have the consent forms as well as the education packet and collection materials on site. I also just wanted to say one of the other things that parents question when doing blood banking, they question the reason for the blood draw from moms, so the maternal blood collection... After delivery, it's basically because your registration is anonymous. There are no patient identifiers, and the Hawaii Core Blood Bank does not have any access to your medical records. So they basically test for communicable diseases, the same test that you would have done through your prenatal core. So it's really just a second check mark to make sure that the blood that they are collecting is appropriate for use.
0: Many people don't realize that ethnicity plays a role in helping patients find a matching stem cell donor. Can you share more about why core blood is so important for diverse patients and African-American patients in general?
3: Ethnicity plays a large part in finding a stem cell match. And it's true for African-American, Asian, Hispanic, Polynesian. Genetic markers are very important when it comes to making the proper match. And oftentimes, especially for diseases like cell or lupus, your family member has that same trait and not able to donate for yourself or for someone within the family. It needs to come from outside of your family. And it's just about making helping the patients to understand that.
0: Can you explain the process for collecting core blood and what a parent can expect in the delivery room?
3: Yes, dispelling one of the biggest myths is people believe that core blood collection is painful to the infant. That's one of the things that come up quite often. Because it is a blood draw, they feel that the blood coming from their baby causes pain in some way. So we simply talk to them about the core blood isn't actually drawn until after the cord has been clamped. And baby by that time is most often either on mommy's chest or on a warmer being assessed. So there's no blood being drawn directly from the baby. It's from the placenta that the collection is drawn, which causes no pain from mom or to baby. So initially, once the baby's delivered, the cord is clamped and cut for the infant. The infant's then placed on mommy's belly before it is delivered, we then draw cord blood from the cord while it's still attached to the placenta. Once the placenta has been delivered, that collection has been complete. You can only draw before it's delivered. Got you.
0: Can you tell us what you think about when you hear the name Black Blood Heals? To me, Black Blood Heals means
3: the health and well-being of our African-American community lies within our own hands. It gives us the opportunity to be proactive in both the care that we give and the care that we receive. It also allows that opportunity for education, which will dispel some of the myths, calm some of the fears, and increase patient participation. I think it's very important to make sure that your patients can make informed decisions when it comes to their health care.
0: That's all for today's episode of Black Blood Heals. If you want to learn more about donating your child's core blood, please visit BeTheMatch.org and search core blood to find a list of hospitals that can work with you to donate your child's core blood. Also, if you are between the ages of 18 and 44 years old, Be The Match is urging you to join the registry. Text IHEART to 61474 to complete a registration form and have a cheek swab kit mailed to your home. That's text IHEART to 61474. Remember, we are the cure for the patients battling blood cancers and blood disease. You can save someone's life. I'm Kendra G. Until next time.